Well, hello again, friends. Uh, it's uh, good to, to see you here this morning. And uh, if you are joining us for the first time, uh, let me add my uh, welcome to Hank and Monique. Um, it's lovely that you can uh, be here. Um, for the next 25 or so minutes, uh, we're going to be having a look at that passage in the Bible that was just read out for us uh, from Luke's Gospel. And uh, I'm going to be uh, uh, unpacking uh, that passage with you. Um, and so it'll be helpful for you to have uh, Luke chapter 23 open in front of you so that you can follow along. But uh, uh, understanding the Bible and uh, knowing God is a spiritual uh, activity. And so uh, I, I'm going to ask God uh, to help us this morning to understand what we are seeing and what we are reading in his word. So will you join with me as I, as I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can gather together this morning to celebrate Easter together. Uh, we thank you indeed for the good news of uh, Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and rose again to new life. And uh, we pray, Father, that this morning as we come before your word that you would be with us, that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to understand what we are seeing, and we pray that you would uh, stir up in our hearts uh, a deep faith in the Lord Jesus, so that we side with him and live with him as our king. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, there are many strange celebrations all around the world, aren't there? Um, I, I did a bit of research during the week, and here are just a few. In Spain, did you know that they celebrate the La Tomatina Festival each year? Uh, if you don't know what that is, uh, it's basically a massive food fight where 30,000 locals and tourists throw tomatoes at each other. No one seems to know exactly why they're celebrating this, but uh, they've turned it into a public holiday. Or in Bolivia... Did you know that they celebrate what is known as the Punch Your Neighbour Festival? And yes, it's exactly as its name sounds. At this festival, you punch your neighbour in your face until he or she bleeds, because uh, in ancient times, um, they used to think that blood would please the gods, who would give them a, a good harvest. I don't know whether you would be neighbours after that festival anymore, but uh, there you go. Or, or my personal favourite, in Finland, did you know that they celebrate every year the Air Guitar Festival? Uh, each year, people from around the world who have been practising all year in their bedrooms uh, come together to play for the coveted Air Guitar World Crown. But friends, I wonder whether you've ever thought about the strangeness of Christians celebrating Good Friday. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, today, all around the world, Christians are celebrating a day that really has to do with the brutal death of a man called Jesus on a cross some 2,000 years ago. It's strange because crucifixion was essentially a way to execute hardened criminals. Its modern-day equivalent might be the electric chair or the hangman's noose, or the bullets of a firing squad. And yet, we call this day good, and it is celebrated by
by millions around the world. Uh, I don't know whether you know much about the Roman practice of crucifixion, but uh, what they used to do was they used to put the the vertical part of the cross uh, as a stake in the ground at the place of execution. It would usually be uh, at a public space so that people could witness the excruciating pain of the victim and come to fear the Roman authorities. Then the victim would be stripped naked of his clothing, for crucifixion was an instrument of shame as well as pain. And he would be forced to carry the horizontal part of the wooden cross to the place of his execution. When he got there, the trained Roman soldiers would drive 20-centimeter nails through the bones on the wrists of the victim, pinning him to the wood. And as you can imagine, it would sever all the important nerves in his arm so that the body would feel intense pain. Then the victim would be hoisted up onto the vertical upright and a single 20-centimetre nail would be driven through both feet. As if that wasn't bad enough, they would often smash the legs of the victim so that he, he wouldn't be able to support his own weight on his legs. And what this would do is it would force the victim to slump forward so that he would die slowly from suffocation. Why would anyone want to celebrate anything to do with crucifixion? I wonder. I think it's true to say that this day and age we've forgotten something about the horror of the cross. Many people wear the cross as jewellery, which uh, properly understood is a bit like wearing uh, an electric chair as a fashion statement. Why would anyone want to celebrate the cross? Well, uh, this morning we're going to have a look at uh, an account of the crucifixion of Jesus from uh, Luke's Gospel. And uh, uh, in this part of the Bible, Luke, who is a doctor and uh, a careful historian, gives us a reliable account of Jesus' death. And the thing I want you to notice here is that strangely... Luke doesn't seem to be very interested in the gory details of what went on that day. In fact, he dedicates all of one verse to the crucifixion itself. Uh, You can see it there in verse 33, can't you? If you have your Bibles, have a look at verse 33. It says there, And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. You see, Luke is not really interested in the details of the crucifixion, which is actually true of uh, all of the Bible writers. If you read through the entire New Testament, you don't actually see very much about the gory details of the crucifixion. For you see, the Bible writers are much more interested in the significance or the meaning of the crucifixion more than the death itself. What is this significance? Well, if you come with me to the end of our passage this morning, you can see there's something of the significance in what Jesus says to one of the criminals who was crucified next to him. It's there in verse 43. 
where Jesus says to this criminal, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word paradise comes from a a Persian word that originally meant a, a garden of some description or an orchard or a forest. Uh, Later, with repeated use, it came to be associated with the Garden of Eden and later with the Garden Paradise of Heaven itself. And so, friends, here is the significance of the cross. It has to do with Jesus' offer of the heavenly paradise after death. It has to do with where, where you and I will spend the rest of our eternity Notice the certainty of this offer. In fact, Luke writes his whole gospel in order to give his readers certainty. And here, Jesus offers certainty in his words, Truly I say to you, I am telling you the truth. This can be trusted. Further, notice the immediacy of paradise after death. There is no Roman Catholic uh, doctrine of, the, of purgatory here. There is no idea of some sort of limbo between death and heaven where you need to pay off your sins. No, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, friends, this is the wonderful offer of the cross. And it is what makes the Christian faith different to all other religious faiths, and all other belief systems in this world. For all other faiths and and belief systems are in the end conditional on your performance. They say, if you want to get to heaven, then you need to do the religious rituals that we tell you to do. Or if you want to get to heaven, you need to uh, keep the religious rules. Or if you want to get to heaven, you need to become a better person for you to have any chance of getting in. It's a bit like collecting frequent flyer points. The the more points you collect, well, there's a hope someday of getting that free flight. But what we see here is a man who had no opportunity for those things, no opportunity for religious ritual, no opportunity for rule-keeping, no opportunity for being a better person or a more moral person, for here is a dying man in the very last hour of his life, and yet Jesus says to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And friends, I want to suggest that if this is true, then this is good news indeed, isn't it? For like it or not, friends, I don't want to be morbid this morning, but you and I are all on our way to death. Some of us are young, and we don't think about it too often. Uh, Some of us are older and think about it more frequently. But it's hardly disputable, is it? Uh, One person has described our lives as being one long queue to the crematorium. But what Jesus offers here at the cross is the certainty of heaven 
and the immediacy of heaven after death. But friends, how is all this possible? How is it that the cross, this barbaric thing that happened to Jesus, how is it that that could achieve what Jesus is offering here? Well, I don't know whether you noticed, but in this passage, Luke is at pains to point out three things that will help us understand what Jesus achieves for us on the cross. Firstly, Luke wants to show us Jesus' identity. Uh, He wants us to understand that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, Just before the crucifixion, you might remember that Jesus was put through a, a sham trial, and at a number of points in that trial, Jesus affirmed affirms his identity as the Christ. Uh, in our passage this morning, Jesus' identity as the Christ is revealed by the religious rulers in verse 35 and the Roman soldiers in verse 37 and even one of the criminals in verse 39. Even if they all call him the Christ out of jest and out of mocking rather than out of true belief. And further, Jesus' identity is put on an inscription that is placed above his head as he is being crucified. It's there in verse 38. This is the charge under which Jesus dies. But what is the Christ? Well, if you're not familiar with this word, um, and uh, if you're new to thinking about um, Christian belief, then uh, what you need to know is that it's not Jesus' surname. Um, you wouldn't address a letter to Jesus as Mr. J. Christ, for example. Or you wouldn't look him up in the white pages, for those of us who are old enough to know what the white pages are. Uh, you wouldn't look him up under the letter C. For Christ is not a surname as much as it is a title. Uh, literally, it means the anointed one because it, it's really talking about Jesus being a king. For In the history of Israel, it was the kings of Israel who were anointed as kings, anointed with oil at their coronation. In fact, there were actually many Christs in the history of Israel because there were many kings. But the people of Israel had been promised by God that one day the Christ and the ultimate king would come to deliver or save Israel from their Uh, enemies and rule over the kingdom of God forever. You see, what Luke wants us to notice here is that Jesus is that Christ and that king who will rule over God's eternal kingdom. In other words, Jesus is not like the thousands of other uh, people who were crucified under the Romans. There is something different about him, for he is God's unique Christ. But secondly, notice that Luke wants us to see Jesus' innocence. Jesus' innocence. Now again, uh, we haven't looked at uh, the preceding part of this uh, narrative. But uh, in the accounts of Jesus' trial, the innocence of Jesus is something that is stressed again and again and again. The Roman governor, Pilate, says three times that Jesus is innocent. The Jewish ruler, Herod, sends Jesus back to Pilate because he can't find any guilt in this man. 
And here in our passage, you see it again on the lips of one of the criminals in verse 41, as he says, this man has done nothing wrong. And so, friends, what is this innocent man doing on a cross, dying like a guilty criminal? What is God's anointed king, who is meant to powerfully deliver and save his people, doing on a cross, dying a weak and shameful and pathetic death? Well, the answer, and this is the third thing, lies in where Jesus is positioned at the cross. For you see, Luke has carefully crafted his account so that we won't miss the fact that Jesus dies in between two convicted criminals. And you can see it there in verse 32, can't you? Luke says, Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. One, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Why does Luke tell us this? Well, he tells us this because it's an important clue as to what actually Jesus is achieving on the cross. For approximately 700 years before Jesus' death, one of Israel's prophets, a prophet called Isaiah, had predicted that someone called the servant would come and suffer in the place of sinful people in order to bring peace with God. Uh, you can actually see this at a number of places in Isaiah, but uh, we're going to throw up uh, a part of Isaiah on the screen. Uh, this comes from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. I hope that's big enough for you to see. But uh, in that verse, God says uh, in Isaiah, Therefore, I will divide with him, that is the servant, a portion with the many. And he will divide the spoil with the strong. It's victory language. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgression, uh, transgressors, that is, those who break God's law. And yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. You see, Jesus dies between the two criminals because he is this servant who is numbered with the transgressors. And what is accomplished through his death? Well, Isaiah says that it is a sin-bearing death that brings you and me peace with God. What is sin? Well, sin is the willful rejection of God from our lives. It's the attitude that says to God, uh, God, even though you created me, uh, I don't want you in my life. I'm perfectly capable of running my life without you. I'm happy to take everything that is good that you give me, but I just don't want you in my life. It's an attitude that deserves nothing but God's righteous anger and wrath and condemnation. Some of us live like this passively, by simply ignoring God and not wanting to think about him in our lives. Others of us 
do it by actively mocking God, as many of the characters uh, in this gospel narrative do. And yet, at the cross, Jesus takes our sin and he bears our sin in his own body and he dies the innocent one in place of our, uh, us as the guilty ones so that the penalty for sin might be paid in full and we can have forgiveness with God now and peace with him in the heavenly paradise. Now, friends, this is the glorious achievement of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. What appears so foolish and so weak and so pathetic to the world is actually the power of God in bringing sinners who deserve nothing but death into paradise itself. And so what then are the responses to the cross? What are the possible ways in which we can respond to this sin-bearing death of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it's simple, really. For in the Bible, there are only two responses. The first response is to set yourself against Jesus. You can see this response in verse 39 in uh, one of the criminals who dies alongside Jesus. You can see there that this criminal arrogantly rails against Jesus and mocks him because he does not believe that he is the Christ. He is the king. You can see there that he foolishly says to Jesus, save yourself and us, not realizing that it is precisely by not saving himself that Jesus can save sinners like us. How arrogant is it, friends, to demand salvation from Jesus on your own terms? How arrogant is it to demand a king that bows to your wishes rather than bowing to the wishes of the king? But there is another response here, isn't there? And uh, it's the right response of the criminal who dies on the other side of Jesus. And uh, how does this criminal respond? Well, he responds in verse 40 by rebuking uh, the criminal who mocks Jesus and distancing himself from the mockers. If you receive Christ, it will mean distancing yourself from those who mock Jesus. Further, notice in verse 41 that he acknowledges his guilt before Jesus. He says that, Death is actually what he deserves for his guilt before God. Oh, it's the hardest thing to do, isn't it? To acknowledge our guilt before God. It's the hardest thing to do to acknowledge that you have been wrong your whole life about Jesus. But finally, he says in verse 42, a few words that will affect his eternal destiny. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Even at this last stage of his life, he recognizes that Jesus is the king who can give him mercy 
when he reaches the court that matters in the kingdom of heaven. And so he sides with Jesus. And it is to this criminal that Jesus says those poignantly beautiful words, words of certainty, words of immediacy, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I love this particular conversion account in the Bible because it's so simple, isn't it? Jesus offers free forgiveness to the one who sides with him. There is no religious ritual. There is no mention of purgatory. There is no mention of salvation by doing more and more good works. Anyone who sides with Jesus can have the certainty and immediacy of paradise after death. And so, will you side with Jesus this morning? You might say, you know, I'm, I'm too sinful to be saved. Uh, you don't know the things that I've done in my life. Well, friend, this is a convicted criminal of the worst kind who Jesus saves. Or you might say, oh, I need to be a better person before I can be saved. I need to put my moral socks up before I side with Jesus. Well, this criminal couldn't do any of those things. All he could do was cast himself on the mercy of Jesus. Well, you might say, well, I'll make a decision later on in my life, perhaps on my deathbed, or at least when I'm a little bit older. Well, friend, not to make a decision is already a decision, isn't it? It's a bit like having a plane ticket but not deciding to go to the airport. Not deciding itself is a decision, and unless you make the right decision, you will miss your plane. Friends, you and I do not know when our last day on earth will be. Uh, I certainly don't know when my last day on earth will be. In fact, no one in this room knows when their last day will be. And so if you have not decided to side with Jesus, then this may be your final opportunity to side with him and to make the most important decision of your life, which is where you will spend the rest of eternity. And so, friends, if you're here this morning and you have not sided with Jesus, then please respond like this humble criminal who is offered paradise. Acknowledge your sins to God. Humbly side with Jesus as your saviour and, res and resolve to live with him as your king. And the promise is that you will receive the certain and immediate promise that on the day you die, you will be with him in paradise. Friends, this is why Christians can celebrate Easter with joy. It's not that we celebrate the death of Jesus. It's that we celebrate the death of Jesus for our sins and who gives us the free gift of eternal life. But it is a celebration only if you have sided with Jesus. And so will you do that this morning? 
Uh, friends, I'm now going to give us all um, an opportunity to respond to what Jesus has done on the cross. Um, and I'm going to do that by leading us in prayer. Uh, you'll see the prayer in the blue uh, sheet that uh, you would have received in your bulletins. Uh, it's really a prayer that expresses some of the things that uh, the, the last criminal says to Jesus. Uh, it acknowledges our guilt before God and asks for forgiveness. Uh, it sides with Jesus by thanking him for his sin-bearing death. And it asks for God's help um, as we live with Jesus as our king who rules our life. And so uh, if you're someone who has already sided with Jesus, then uh, I'm sure this is the, the kind of prayer that you would love to pray. But if you are here and you have not already sided with Jesus, then uh, this is an opportunity for you uh, to decide to respond to Jesus rightly and uh, receive his gift of a certain place in paradise. Um, I'm going to read this prayer out so that you know uh, what the prayer says. And then after that, uh, I'm going to lead us in this prayer. And uh, you can follow along in the quietness of your own heart. It's a prayer for mercy. It says, Dear God, I know that I am not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life in paradise. I am guilty of sin and rebellion against you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me. Thank you that he bore my sin and suffered in my place so that I may be forgiven and have the certainty of the heavenly paradise after death. Please have mercy on me like the criminal on the cross. Please help me to stop living in a way that is against Jesus, but help me to side with him and live with him as my king. In Jesus' name, amen. So if that's the sort of prayer that you would like to pray uh, this morning, uh, then why don't you pray along with me, uh, just in the quietness of your own hearts. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that I am not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life in paradise. I am guilty of sin and rebellion against you, and I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me. Thank you that he bore my sin and suffered in my place, so that I may be forgiven and have the certainty of the heavenly paradise after death. Please have mercy on me like the criminal on the cross. Please help me to stop living in a way that is against Jesus, but help me to side with him and live with him as my king. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, if you prayed that prayer, uh, perhaps for the first time, and you have genuinely sided with Jesus in your life, then uh, I just want to say that that's terrific. And uh, uh, I just want you to, to remind you of Jesus' words to this thief, that all who turn to him uh, will be given the certainty uh, of eternal life. 